Hello and welcome to Silence, a podcast that gives women in science, technology, engineering and maths or STEM an opportunity to be honest and open about what it's really like working in these typically male-dominated subjects. Each week, one woman shares her stories and experiences. She could be a public figure, the girl next door or someone from a far-off land. The point is she'll be deliberately kept anonymous and disguised to ensure that we're not distracted by the details of her achievements, her labels, or what she looks like. I'm Dr. Shanice Omara, also a woman in STEM. I studied mechanical engineering and ended up as a television broadcaster. I've worked on and reported on some cutting edge technology and innovation over the years. And through my TV work, I've met some incredible women from a diverse range of STEM fields. And you know what? I've been more amazed about what I've learned from these women when the cameras have been turned off and they're just being themselves. These women have amazingly impressive CVs, but most importantly, they're human, just like the rest of us. And it's that off-air honesty that I'd love to share with you through silence. It's my hope that you really relate to what's shared with you today and that you're as inspired and supported and comforted as I always am when I chat with my amazing guests. If so, please do subscribe to Silence and maybe even leave some comments and reviews. I'd love to have your feedback. This week, my guest has a history in executive management and app development for video games, mobile content and augmented and virtual reality. Hi. Hi. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on the show. That's quite a title. <laughs> well, yeah, I've, I've worked my way up to the top. <laughs> How has that journey been? Well, it, it definitely has been uh, a unique journey. And I've figured out a few things that have helped me um, navigate the landscape. But I, I started off initially as a coder and doing web development a long time ago, um, back in the dark ages of the internet. <laughs> and I was always a video gamer and loved playing video games. That's actually what introduced me to technology. But um, I always found myself getting put into management positions and I think some of that was because I had this ability to translate strategy, the corporate strategy, into a real product roadmap and ensure that the engineering teams were building something that the companies really wanted. And, you know, that's what I found for myself was kind of my sweet spot of where I really was able to identify what I was good at. Right. So take me back to when you were a little girl. Like, did you know that you were going to end up being in some kind of STEM field? You know, I was thinking about that the other day because I was watching A Wrinkle in Time on the airplane coming back from New York last week. And that was my favorite book when I was a little girl. And it really made me want to know more about science and physics. And I always had an interest in science. And um, after reading that book, I started really digging into what it meant to be a physicist, because the idea of quantum leaping, which that book introduced to me as a little girl, really ignited my imagination. And I think later, once I found out how much money you make in the scientific community, I thought, mm, maybe there are other things yeah. in the future for me. But um, yeah. um, 
you know, I was always that weird kid that would take apart things to figure out how they worked, um, much to the chagrin of my parents. And um, but I had a challenging childhood as well. Um, my parents were um, not the healthiest people, and they had, you know, they were drug addicts. And so I had to kind of figure out how to take care of myself at a very early age. And escaping into playing video games and um, reading was really, I think, where I started to see different visions of myself in the future that might be different from maybe what my life would have been like if I, I weren't open to new concepts of what my life could be like. And um, so, you know, I just kind of evolved in that area of trying to figure out how things worked and had a real interest in video games when they first really started to hit the market. And um, I always played games and found, you know, that there was a real interest in wanting to learn how to modify them. And in the early days of the internet, when there were uh, IRC chat channels, I would go on and like meet people who made the games to find out how to play them better. And, you know, so it just really gave me a, a, a real love for technology through this path of playing games. And it was from that, that, um, I just found myself kind of in the right place at the right time designing websites um, because I could back at a time where uh, people really wanted them and were willing to pay a lot of money for them. And that's kind of how I got started in tech. So were you always kind of navigating through your STEM journey alone? I mean, what was it like being a female? Right. And I didn't go through academia. You know, I'm self-taught. I taught myself how to code, uh, started off doing, um, like I said, game mods and then uh, HTML and some of the early kind of programming that was available like CGI for um, web-based applications and just evolved, you know, learned Java and other things. But by that time, I started moving quickly into management. So oftentimes I, I still am the lone female in the room. I have a company that I'm running now, a newly funded startup that has about 14 people. We just hired our second female. And um, so, you know, I'm used to that role. I'm used to being the only woman in, in the room. Hmm. And how has that been? Simply had its journey. And I, I can, you know, since... I know my identity is disguised in this. I can be pretty honest about it. Um, I worked in other industries before working in tech. I worked in advertising in, in Hollywood and, you know, had some horrible experiences in that arena. Um, uh, you know, some of the worst kind of sexual harassment experiences you can have, like having a boss call me into his office with his pants down and, pornography on his desk, do you know? And um, so I will say working in tech, I have never had an experience like that. Oh, wow. Okay. So that was more of a Hollywood experience rather than a tech experience. That's exactly right. And so in tech, I think um, early on, I, I felt like I wasn't being listened to and I wasn't being heard. And there were times where I would get very frustrated with that and 
uh, I started to really get a big chip on my shoulder. It started turning into a boulder on my shoulder. And I got very, very frustrated with it. And I realized that, you know, I wasn't really playing the game to win. You know, I wasn't looking at it through the eyes of really, you know, like a video gamer. How do I, how do I win in this arena? And, um, and so I had to come up with some strategies for how to navigate um, the landscape so that I could be heard. And one way I found to do that was to use data to support anything that I was proposing or um, uh, any initiative that I had worked on. I would show the numbers and and get into the metrics. And you couldn't argue with the data. And it didn't matter if I had a vagina while I was presenting something that actually was making money or driving growth. And so right. you know, it was really identifying how I could make decisions on what I focused on that had real impact because I was able to quickly identify that I was being very busy doing a lot of work but it wasn't always focused on the, the work the company cared about. And so once I started figuring out, okay, if I can create a new line of business and generate new revenue with a product idea that could potentially do that, how do I pitch that to them in a way that they'll say yes and fund it? Um, and if, if I proposed a test and a strategy that would collect data initially to prove or validate the idea, people were more willing to take the risk on it. And so I think mm. that when I coach women, you know, who are just friends of mine, um, you know, cause they come to me a lot. Um, that's what I'll, I'll, I'll help them the most with is how to be strategic. Yes. Women are talked over. Yes. We are overlooked um, at times. And so knowing that there's real bias out there, you know, rather than go victim to it, I have to make empowering choices for how I can be successful in that environment. And I, I have really um, made it an effort to teach other women how to do that because I had great men who mentored me or, or sponsored me, you know, in those mm -hmm. areas and coached me. Um, I have an old boss coming coming in uh, in a couple of days to coach us on uh, you know our pitch to raise more money for the company. He's great and he's very um, well known in the tech industry, and I feel fortunate to have people like that. So it's there are great people out there, just like there are crappy people. And you've got to find the ones that are going to be your advocates. And it's not enough just to be mentored. You have to be sponsored. You know, that's the thing. You have to get your initiative sponsored. So that that was sort of, I What's think, the, the turning point. Well, What's the difference? The difference of being sponsored is having somebody who's willing to su uh, support and fund your idea. Right. And so you want to present ideas, no matter what level you're at, you can always um, uh, involve yourself in projects that will save the company money. And then if, if you can get on a project that will actually make 
money or drive growth or drive real innovation. Um, I always encourage people, even when they're at the beginning of their careers, to get on those teams, you know, because you being associated with that initiative and that success, um, it, that that's a way to get sponsored rather than mentored, right? Mentoring is having a cup of coffee and somebody like giving you support, right? But sponsorship is funding and, and giving you resources to build something. And that's what I think women really have to really take ownership of is, can I get in there and help build something that's meaningful? You know? Right. And I think um, to make the leap from seeking mentorship to seeking sponsorship requires a lot of self-belief. Yeah, it does. Even if you have to fake it, though. Uh, you know, I don't think I had 100% self-belief, but I had some moxie. Some of that is just the result of me growing up in the environment I grew up in. I had to be tough, right? Yeah. And I remember this same boss who's coming to help us. Um, he's retired now, but um, uh, he, um, when he was my boss, and I was pretty junior at the time, I think I was like director level running product development. And, and some people didn't, my direct boss and his boss didn't want to support this idea I had. And I went to the CEO and I just said, look, I really do believe this is the right thing for us to do. And I can get it done with this amount of money and these four people. I can build the prototype and I know I can get it done in six months. And if I don't, you can fire me. <laughs> um, but if I do, I would like to be made a vice president so I can really drive some of these new initiatives forward and have wow. the authority to do it. So I negotiated and I was terrified to do that, you know, but I had read in some book that this is how men did it. And <laughs> so I thought, well, let me go try it. Right. And, um, uh, and when I did that, he actually like looked at me and went, Hmm, this is really going to upset those two guys. And I said, yeah, it will. And he said, that yeah, could be fun. Um, but, you know, <laughs> those two guys, while they were initially furious with me for going around them after I got promoted, there was a lot of respect there. One of them even said that was very well played. And many years later, I went to go work for him again. And the other guy, works for me now. So, you know, you never know like how things can turn around. And that's why I think just making more choices that are empowering. Uh-oh, that's my little dog in the background. <laughs> Hold on. Our chief security officer. Um, I've never heard your story and it's really kind of different to hear a woman in STEM come from a background that isn't conventional, i.e., you know, didn't kind of study the, the traditional subjects, go to university, qualify, get your first job, work your way up the ladder. It sounds like you really carved out your own career. And to do something like that must have taken so much courage. Where does that courage, yeah. where do you think that courage or inspiration come from? Well, that's a 
a good question. No one's actually really asked me that. And some of it, um, you know, the thing about courage is you don't necessarily, courage and confidence are two separate things. And I think I used to wait for the confidence to show up before I would take the action. And what I actually found, especially after that conversation was, yeah, I was terrified to have that conversation, but I, my feet took me to have it anyway. And after I did it and I got the green light, I felt more confident and I realized, wow, you just have to show up in spite of your fear and, and just do it anyway. And then the confidence comes after you take the action. And so mm, yeah. that's something I think that um, uh, females could definitely do more of. I think sometimes we strive for perfection. And yeah. it might hold us back sometimes. I've certainly seen that. Maybe it's a function of, you know, well, it is changing now. More girls are playing team sports. But, you know, one of the things I learned from playing video games was how to fail um, and uh, how to learn how to how to learn how to win the game by failing over and over again. You know, and so you kind of that fear of failure, especially if you iterate quickly, you know, that's the beauty about tech is uh, in these STEM related um, industries is that, you know, it's a process of experimentation and trying things out, you know? And so there's, there's margin for error there. And especially if you can get in and out of things quickly to find out that they don't work, uh, you know, it makes jumping in, uh, or that leap of faith a, a little bit easier to just investigate. You know, it's more a curiosity, right? Yeah. I mean, I also wanted to see how my boss would react to that conversation. Yeah. And maybe I just didn't know any better from not having, um, you know, been exposed to too many case studies, et cetera. <laughs> do you know? Mm. It's that same little girl who had to figure out how to do some really hard things with a checked out mother you know yeah it's kind of like just taking the leap and seeing how it all kind of pans out that's a big attribute of software development that i really love it's like let's get something up and running that's working look at the data and let the data which is kind of like a conversation with your end user telling you what they like through the analytics. And then from there, let that inform your next move. It's also, I'm mean, personally, I've found it's a great way to live your life too. Yeah. Just kind of put your feet on the road and get on the road and see where the journey um, takes you. If you're not so attached to very specific outcomes, something more wonderful may actually emerge oh. that you hadn't really visualized when you first started. Yeah. I mean, such inspiring words. I mean, was this all self-taught? I mean, did you have anyone along the way guiding you to this kind of ultimate wisdom? Of course, I've had, um, and it's not ultimate, you know, we're always learning, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, I'm CEO of the company. I'm 
I'm running now. I've, I've been number two for a long time. I think women are great COOs. Um, you know, we know how to get a lot of um, tactical things done all at once. And um, but I realized, you know, it was time for me to step up and run my own company. And so there are a lot of things at this level that I haven't known how to do that I'm learning as I go. And I have a handful of advisors and um, real leaders that I go to, you know, and ask them questions. And and I have found most people are really happy to help. Yeah. Especially when you're trying to do um, something meaningful. And uh, so, you know, I have not had a horrible experience in tech. I can talk about some of the things I have encountered, though. But, you know, so I would say that I've had some great bosses. And I've also had some uh, uh, great um, uh, bodies of, of nonfiction that have helped me. There's one book uh, from the 70s I found at a yard sale called Games Mother Never Taught You, Corporate Gamemanship for Women, <laughs> that I found amazingly helpful. And uh, one day I want to write a more modern version of it, you know? Yeah. And it's... Um, uh, I found that to be really helpful because it really kind of exposed me to some tactics that I never really knew that could even be approached. And um, uh, and again, it's, that's where I found the ideas that, wow, I wasn't really playing to win, you know? Yeah, I mean, as a woman in tech, there is this general assumption that you are a minority and that you have to yeah, or, yeah that's not even technical yeah that's the other one yeah people will go oh do you work in marketing or nothing wrong with marketing functions and stuff but it never you know they'll meet me especially when I was younger and just look at me and go oh she can't be technical yeah do you know yeah so what other things have you had to navigate uh being female in a very male-dominated industry well, you know, that that one aspect, I will say, um, an, an old boss of mine actually exploited it because he would say, I'm going to bring in our head of technology. And before you meet this person, he never revealed my gender. Um, you need to sign all these non-competes and, or non-solicits. And, um, and he kind of set it up so that when I walked in the room, when they might be expecting you know, some PhD from MIT or IIT, you know, and I walked in, right? And it really threw them off their pins. So he was really good at playing into that, do you know? Um, they didn't know what to expect. Because I've, I've run, before I became a COO, I was running tech teams uh, and the engineering teams as started off in product development and then ended up running product and tech together to make sure they were aligned. And then ultimately ran operations. Um, and um, so some of the things I've had to encounter earlier in my career was, as I mentioned, being heard. And my strategy to counter that was to use um, data, right, to end some arguments. And then um, the other thing, though, that I have found, and I, I, it still occurs, is I believe women get held to different standards and, uh, and these biases are, are deep. I had a developer 
who uh, actually, she was our CTO at a company I was at, and let's say her name was Daniela, right? And she, um, when she was an engineer, she would submit her resume for job openings and be, you know, returned a very nice letter that said, thank you, but you don't have the qualifications or the experience levels that we're looking for this role. And then she changed her, um, she thought on a hunch, let me drop the A and submit as Daniel. And all of a sudden she was qualified, you know? So, I mean, those wow. kind of things are out there and you have to know they have, yeah. right? You just have to know. And there are all these controls, like in the symphony, symphony, you know, when you audition now, they do that it has blind audition. So you can't see the gender. You just hear the performance for the mm. audition for those reasons. We need some version of that for tech, right? You know? Right. So it does still exist then? Oh, for sure. For sure. It still exists People because people aren't even aware that they have that you know, bias. It's an unconscious bias. So as a female, you have to know it exists and figure out how you're going to push through it anyway, you know? And like she did, she ended up being CTO of a company. So she made it work, right? She would show up and, uh, or they would call her on the phone to schedule the appointment and hear her voice. And by that time they couldn't back out. So she was crafty. Right. Yeah, and there seems to be like a common theme between you and someone like Daniela, which is that uh, you pushed through it anyway. Yeah, and like, you know, I've heard other statistics that GitHub code uh, that gets checked in, um, you, you know, open source code that gets checked in um, uh, where gender is not identified, you know, the female code will get accepted very frequently even higher than male you know at a percentage um but that uh if the gender is identified it's less right on open source contribution yeah maybe there's a strategy there for how we can infiltrate <laughs> i'm surprised that it still goes on because i've heard that you know with all the initiatives to encourage girls to code and things like that like um your industry in particular has become a lot more open to uh, receiving women. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And I think that one of the best things that's happened to the STEM industry is Minecraft. It's gotten, this is where I think women have to really take responsibility for some things too. Like, you know, we talked about pushing through anyway, if you really love it, You've got to figure out how to make it happen. And once there are more of us at the top, we can lead the way and change the rules and, and open the doors for other people for a more well-balanced workplace. But Minecraft has raised a whole generation of young women now entering universities on uh, STEM tracks because they've been, for the last eight to 10 years, have been seeing themselves as builders and makers and working with toolkits that look a lot like software. And I think this is really, in, you know, you got to get down to the root level and, and start young, shaping that mind to see themselves that way. Right. And, yeah. uh, and, you know, I always felt that playing video games kind of made me a little bit of a badass too. Do you know, even if it was just. Well, I was going to actually say that. Um, 
because it sounds like your journey through STEM, um, you didn't take any uh, any crap from anyone, whichever gender. Um, but don't you think that's? Um, did you ever feel like you were compromising on your femininity by having to be like a badass? No, no. I think um, uh, it, most people who know me think of me as very female. <laughs> Do you know? I mean, I'm. I'm I'm, you know, uh, totally into fashion and I never like showed up at work acting like a dude, right? I've always been myself. But um, Mm. one thing I will just say about the badass thing, while it was a strategy on the outside, you know, because it made guys, um, I don't know, I found like a lot of, if you talk to a lot of men who've worked with me, they, they will say, oh, she's really fun to work with, you know? Um, and she's tough and she can make the hard calls. I think sometimes this rhetoric that women brings a different point of view or a more collaborative point of view is another kind of way to be sexist, you know, because underneath, I think they'll worry, well, can she make the tough call and, you know, um, let go of people when needed and cut projects. And I mean, a, a leader is a leader right? And whether they're female or not is secondary to that. So, um, but on the point of just being a badass, going back to that, I will say, you know, I, it doesn't mean that my feelings haven't been hurt. And mm-hmm. uh, there have been times where, you know, I've been excluded from certain things because I was a female. And um, uh I'm glad a lot of that is changing in the industry where people are being a little more mindful of, of how, you know, teams, team dynamics are built and it to be more inclusive. And I remember when I got promoted at a, a game company, um, there was um, another guy who got promoted with me and he was a bulldog, but, you know, this we got promoted to the level where you really get the cash and prizes, you know, like the it was a public company and you get like all there were only 28 people at this level, including the CEO. And when, you know, I was suddenly where one day everybody liked me and thought I was great. The next day, suddenly I was power hungry and a bitch and a diva, you know, all the labels. And, and he was a great guy. You know, and well deserved, and you know, it's kind of like the Heidi Howard thing that um, that study that came. I think it was Columbia um, that came out that Sheryl Sandberg references in Lean In. You know, where they took the executive profile of of a leader, and to one group of students, they named him Howard, and all the, the students said, "Oh, he he'd be a great guy to work with." And then when they changed the gender and the name to Heidi oh, I don't know that I could work for someone like her. She seems aggressive. And it was the same description, you know? And I personally, I felt that and I was brokenhearted, you know? Yeah. I, I remember calling my aunt and saying, they called me, oh, you know, they're calling me all these names. And she goes, congratulations. <laughs> and then about yeah. a week later, a week later, I got a, a a copy of The Art of War, a new translation of it in the mail from her. And it was just go get them, you know. <laughs> and yeah. 
And I realized, yeah. yeah, it just can't like get stopped by that. And eventually it changed, you know, um, but it's, it's there for sure. So how has it been working with other women? You know, there are, I have great friendships uh, with a lot of other female leaders in tech. We do get together. I think it's been really good to make sure it, our conversations when we hang out and even when we speak on panels that we don't make it a bitch session about how poorly we've been treated because, you know, the best thing we can do is also include men in those conversations and and talk about business and get into positions where we can actually change the culture, you know? So I will be honest though. I've had a, I want to hire female developers. I've had a hell of a time finding them. Yeah. That's yeah. There's still a shortage. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely a shortage. So I think it's, um, we, we need to drive that interest. It's a really fun industry. I think most, um, uh, businesses now are going to be technical. Even the food industry has a lot of technology associated with it. Mm. And so to get to those higher ranks, you're going to have to have some understanding, right, of, um, of tech. And, uh, you know, and you see the convergence of now science is becoming more and more important into industry as well. And so, if women don't step up and seize the reins in these areas, we're going to be relegated to second tier roles that are only support roles. We'll never have power, you know, and we can't, we can't complain about not making as much money if we don't take career paths that lead to the top and owning product, owning engineering understanding data and analytics at a level that, you know, is um, very sophisticated. Those are the things that are going to give us the foundation to get to the top. And then we can make it better for other people to follow on our path. So I, I think that, you know, there, we have to look at it as being empowering. Um, so taking responsibility for our career paths, negotiating like as hard as men do and asking for promotions and, you know, having those conversations that are awkward and weird, like the one I had with that boss that day, but I negotiated a promotion out of that. Do you know? Okay. Um, I have to say, listening to you, it's incredibly inspiring. But when I take myself back to younger Shani, who was just studying STEM subjects, I I didn't have that badass attitude. I was very um, highly lacking in self-confidence and self-esteem. I knew, you know, I was I was smart enough to do those subjects, but I didn't have the uh, the balls. One thing I want to point out: balls are actually the weakest part of any human body. <laughs> <laughs> if you think about it, right? It's the most vulnerable person down so maybe maybe we should say the eggs <laughs> good point right well do you know that is so interesting because um vulnerability is actually you know an opportunity to really show your empowerment because I think many people are trying to disguise their vulnerability and that's where they kind of trip up 
But to actually be able to own your vulnerability is an extremely powerful thing. For sure. I think uh, men are really struggling with this right now because, you know, they've been raised to also not show their emotions. And I think it makes them sick, you know, and and, and aberrations that come out of that. So, you know, I'm just really glad all these conversations are happening now so that people can look at all these gender roles we impose on each other, Mm. you know, it's, uh, um, now, especially as women, you know, can take care of themselves, et cetera. It's, 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 I think even though we're sort of swinging far to the left on this issue or all the way over to the right, people are very confused about, you know, gender in the workplace and how we should all be treating each other. I think good stuff is going to come out of it, but going back to young Shinny and the, um, confidence thing, um, how how would you talk to yourself, you know, knowing what you know now? What would you say to yourself? Well, um, so many things. I mean, just sticking to the topic, I would say that it's okay to feel self-doubt and feel vulnerable. Um and to use those things as an opportunity to grow um, and uh, to develop courage. In the same way that you had that difficult conversation with your boss, kind of knowing that you could be risking what you want, you know, um, by, by actually putting yourself out there. You allowed failure to be a possibility. And I think a lot of girls in STEM don't allow failure to be an option. Uh, So I think I would tell my younger self that failure is an option. Yeah, we get scrutinized, though, too, right? We do get held to different performance standards. We do. I can't make as many mistakes. And that that's only, I think, because there aren't that many of us, you know, and... um, the more the more we're almost like the mascots for women in STEM yeah we just have to keep pushing through and getting there it's getting better and better though I really do believe it it's just look I can create the culture now at the company I have so that it's not hostile to women Mm. right and um uh and, and you know a lot of men don't even realize that how they're behaving creates a hostile environment. So having a boss who can just gently pull them aside and say, hey, you know, maybe you don't want to say that or just be mindful of what you're doing, um, you know, we can help change the culture a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I made this podcast for women in STEM, but actually I feel that uh, what would really help women more than anything is a change in male attitudes towards women in the in the STEM workplace. I I couldn't agree with you more and that's why whenever I get asked to speak in these women in, you know, uh, technology kind of things I I'm not really wanting to do them anymore on on these panels because there are no men in the room who actually need to hear yeah. it, you know? Yeah. And 
And it needs to be uh, an inclusive conversation with them too. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we also have to go back to how do we help girls find the courage and, and the support that they need to speak up. And it's not only um, females too. I find different cultures also, um, uh, at least in the Western world, might have uh, uh, different things that could potentially hold the person back. Like, you know, my grandmother's part Chinese and um, you know, she was kind of raised, she's passed away now, but she was raised with the concept to be self-promoting would actually bring you bad luck, <laughs> Do you know, that you don't talk about yourself mm -hmm. and what you accomplished. Yeah. And, and we've seen that, you know, that's definitely an attribute in some cultures. Well, in American business, especially even more than Europe, it's a requirement. Yeah. I'm surprised it didn't affect you if your grandmother, because my, my parents actually have that mindset, which, which is whatever you brag about, you will lose. How did it not affect you? Yeah, well, I didn't listen to her too much because <laughs> I could see, again, it's like when you look at it like a game mm -hmm. board, yeah. right? You can't walk in with a rule set. You have to look at the game that's actually being played. And in the work environment I was in, self-promotion was a requirement. Even if you didn't have the confidence, you had to act like you had yeah. the confidence. Yeah. You know? So while you say, yeah, how did you find so much courage? How were you such a badass? Like I keep saying, some of that was fake initially. Do you know? I just did it anyway, even though I was afraid, you know, and I'd be like shaking on the inside. There was a part of me that knew that part of the the way that these people played that game was that you have to appear like you're in control and that you can do it, you know? Yeah. And I do suspect that uh, the hardship you went through in your younger years um, actually kind of gave you the strength to hold your own? I, you know, I think one of the best healing um, things for me was to start to look at it that way. For a long time, I looked at the early um, stages of my life as creating all this damage and, and feeling very wounded by it. And I was able to get some help in that area and I would encourage anybody else who uh, has gone through those kind of experiences and not deal with and hasn't dealt with it to go get the help. Um, but once I could look at it from a certain point of view, I could see it as, okay, I would not want anyone, any child to go through those life experiences, but you know, that is my journey. And it actually has laid a foundation for some of my strongest attributes, right, which is a tenacity and um, also just kind of a fierceness to want to um, survive, you yeah. know. And, uh, um, and I think uh, maybe men have that a little more easily accessible to them, just on the way that they're, you know, raised from being boys yeah. to toughen up and, and act as if, and, 
and uh, deal with failure a little more. Um, I'm not saying it's right, but it might prepare them better for these environments, or at least they bring that into these environments, you know? So, um, yeah. I mean, I just want to go back to the vulnerability uh, point because there may be women listening to this thinking, um, you know, if I ever showed vulnerability at work, I would probably get fired because emotion doesn't feature in the professional workplace. And there's some truth to that, right? Because if you if you got on an airplane tonight and you saw the captain or the pilot of the plane sobbing in the cockpit, you might be worried about the next four hours (laughs) of your life, you know, flying. Right. So, so there is some truth to that. Or even you think about how children feel very insecure when their parents are uh, expressing difficult emotions. Right. So from a leadership profile, there is some truth to that, you know, so um, but I don't think the way the macho culture does it is healthy either. Yeah. I mean, what is your what is your solution to it? I mean, how do you conduct yourself as a woman in a very kind of unemotional profession? Well, because I'm CEO, I think of myself as a leader first and that airline pilot um, example it helps me a lot. It doesn't matter if I'm male or female. I need to instill confidence that I'm going to take them on a safe flight and land them so that they don't die. Right? Like that's very important yeah. um, because so it's kind want... of back to the data, isn't it? Yes, it it's is. back to the data point where you were saying, you know, you've got to have the gravitas to back you up. You do, and that's. That's whether you're male or female, that is a leadership role, right? And it's confidence in, uh, you know, but you can build that confidence. I didn't just show up with that confidence. It's It's been, uh, you know, cumulative based on success and also an understanding of fail, you know, that I've learned how to do things through failing and um, yeah. uh, also how to build support layers you know that 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 pilot has a co-pilot and a crew Mm, and safety checks and you know all of that so there's a lot of support there I think you can make yourself vulnerable by not leveraging all of that or building a good team so there's different ways to look at vulnerability as far as just being Mm. emotional um I try not to be too emotional at work, but I've had some very real moments, you know, where, um, uh, well, you, you know, my late husband, you've met him, right? I think he introduced the two of us, um, when he was dying from cancer, you know, I showed up at work and I was not a hundred percent present. And I yeah. had to ask my team to step up and help me and support me. And I think that, mm. you know, that was very difficult for me to do. I wasn't comfortable doing it, but it was really good for my team to see me as a real human being. And then a few Absolutely. years later, um, when one of my coworkers at that place had his wife lost um, uh, to illness and then ultimately passed away, you know, he's been able to reach out to me for advice because I showed myself 
you know, as mm. a spouse, a person dealing with a real life issue that many people around you at work are dealing with, you know? So while you don't want to, you know, always be falling apart, um, you know, we're human. We're human. Yeah. It's also good to show your human side. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's something that women deny themselves of in a male-dominated industry. They feel that they sometimes can't actually express who they truly are in a three- or four-dimensional capacity. But men feel that way too, Shani. You know, I know many of men that want to, like, be home with their sick kids, and they just feel they can't, right, because they'll risk uh, their position. And so... That's interesting. Yeah, I, you know, because they they have to, you know, always be on call and respond to emails. And I think I just think overall the culture needs a, an overhaul. You know, and yeah, um, one good thing about having more millennials in the workplace is um, they do care about work life balance more than maybe my generation, which is Gen X. So. From listening to you and knowing you, um, you are so successful and accomplished in your professional life. Um, but what does the expression having it all mean to you? Do you have it all? I have everything I want. Um, I did have a wonderful, happy marriage, um, uh, you know, that ended through death um so it was very much till death do us part and um you know i was the breadwinner in the back half of that relationship and he was the breadwinner in the first part of it so you know it was a true partnership i never wanted to have children and i chose not to so i can't speak from that side of uh, I know there are real challenges to navigating motherhood and being a um, a career person, um, but I have seen many women do it very well, including my best friend. And um, uh, so I know that there are great role models out there who have done that for me. Um, no, I don't have it all. I um, I am still navigating grief. It's been three years since my husband died, and um, uh, you know, rebuilding my life, doing this new company is a part of that, and I'm very excited about it. And you know, I'm starting to date again, and it's kind of ridiculous. And <laughs> um, but you know, there's a part of me that would just give anything to you know, be back in time too. So, you know, mm-hmm. life has its challenges, it's very ephemeral. And what is having it all mean? At the end of the day, all I can really hope is that I'm th- the best person I can be, which means I'm kind and considerate and trying to um, find meaning and purpose in my life uh, so that when I leave here, like my husband did, you know, he was a remarkable person and did a lot of good in the world. He felt very good about what he had done here. And, you know, I want that same um, feeling. And I don't feel like I'm quite there yet, but I'm on, on the way. I feel that, you know, I can create a good work environment where people feel challenged and excited to come here. That I'm, I'm able to do now. 
And I feel very grateful for that. I have wonderful friends in my life. Um, and uh, they were incredibly supportive of me during a very difficult time. I've come to find uh, that my husband's daughter and her children are real family for me, you know, at a time where I've, I've lost a lot. And so I'm very grateful for what I do have. Is it perfect? No. <laughs> but I'm, um, you know, and I've built this. This was not the way I was supposed to turn out. My, my younger sister died from a drug overdose. You know, she took the same journey my mother took. And uh, for whatever reason, I was able to make different choices. And I'm very grateful for that. Did you ever think life would turn out the way it has? Because I think uh, in my experience of knowing STEM women, we, you know, we're, we're kind of control freaks. We're smart. We're, we like to plan for our future. Um were you ever a planner and has it turned out the way you planned if you are? Yeah, maybe that was the thing that really differentiated me from my sister. I do think also, though, I learned how to meditate early on um, through a therapist when I was about 15. And it, I think it really changed the way I, I deal with things, um, you know, to help my mind kind of be trained to be present and observant. I am analytic by nature. And um, I also, uh, I, I, I really identify with you saying being a planner, <laughs> do you know, really kind of getting into the minutia of things. I definitely have done that. And um, I think there was a part of me that always saw that if I put my mind to something, I could you know, give myself a great life or do big things. So somewhere I had that kind of belief in, in myself. I don't know where it came from, really. Maybe it was from reading books and um, uh, having the ability to, you know, have a different vision of mm. myself combined with that meditation practice. Um, but definitely uh, I had no idea that I would end up being uh, uh, doing what I was doing now. I just maybe saw myself as, um, you know, being somewhat successful in life. I think I had that vision at some point um, when I hit my early 20s, but not at the level that I have been. Um, it's sometimes I kind of look and I go, wow, <laughs> when's it all going to fall apart? <laughs> So looking back then, um, with everything you've been through, if there are sort of young, aspiring women in STEM, what advice would you give to them? Well, there's, there's a few things I, I would say is to look at the path in front of you strategically and design uh, a journey that's focused on contribution, whether it's contributing to the overall success of the company through the projects you pick, uh, or and by company, I mean what, whatever you're interacting with, even if it's academia, to be strategic about it. And uh, to negotiate what you deserve and, and ask for 
ask for it. Um, uh, don't wait for people to grant it to you and to acknowledge how great you are. You're going to have to tell them that you deserve mm. it. Even if you don't believe it, just practice it and fake it and show up and do it. <laughs> do yeah. it anyway. You know, don't listen to your head. Be louder than your fear and do it anyway. Um, ask for more money. Uh, let me give you an example. Um, my husband's granddaughter called me and she said, I got a job. And her, it was like her first job out of uh, college. And she, um, I said, how much are they paying you? And she said, $38,000. And I said, great, ask for more. And she goes, yeah. this is my first job. And I said, I don't care. You have to build the muscle to ask for more. I said, this is one of the real reasons why men at the same level mm. make more money. I have never sat across a woman and offered her less. I always offer the low end of the salary range that's been approved, expecting there'll be some negotiation. And I see men negotiate and women very rarely negotiate. Yeah. Well, that's a real question about knowing your worth, isn't it? Well, you know, what I told her was it's less even about that. It's just building the muscle to ask, right? So I said, just ask for four more thousand dollars. And she goes, well, you know, and I said, you're not going to ask. You have to ask. I won't talk to you until you just ask for it. You know, even if they say no, you're building the muscle. So she texted me the next day and said, they're going to give me eight more thousand dollars. So she got it, you know, and it taught her a really important lesson. And I'll say on average, it's five thousand dollars. That's the, you know, at the lower end of your salary, but it adds up like compounded interest because. Every year, most companies, corporations have like an annual salary increase limit of like 3%. And your 401k contributions get um, keyed off your salary and your next job salary get keyed off your last one. So if you lock in at a lower price, you set that tone, you know, and, and if you negotiate it, that $5,000 difference, you know, makes it, it's huge. It gets Somebody had calculated it's over a million dollars over your career lifetime you're leaving on the table for the average salary work. That's a lot of money. So I, that's the advice I would give to somebody just starting. Don't, don't wait for the confidence. Just practice the script on how to ask and, you know, back it up with why. Don't just ask for the money, but ask, you know, back it mm. up with why you deserve it. And, um, uh, and you know, the worst is that they say no, but one thing you can even do when they say no is, well, would you be open to giving it to me in six months time? If I accomplish X, Y, and Z again, it's strategizing. Isn't it? So you're still negotiating, right? You're tying it to performance. So I think some of those tactics, um, are, are just, you know, they're very tactical, um, things that people can do that have huge impact on on your journey and that's uh, you know it's just telling someone to be more confident etc or fake it even is is hard but to specifically tell them to ask for more and how to ask like i did with my late husband's granddaughter um you know is real guidance for her right 
Well, I really feel the true gamer in you is is there, you know, always strategizing and uh, ultimately winning. It's been so amazing to have you on the show. Thank you so much for being so open. Oh, thank you so much for having me. And I, hope, I hope people, you know, find something out of it. But I, I'll just end with this is that that was the way to do it. That was authentic to me. Find, find your own version of it, you know, which, you know, just think and visualize your own version of what's right for you on that. And, you know, it's sometimes I have this little mantra in my head where I just have to tell myself, be bold. You know, but the one thing that really motivates me as a leader now is an understanding that people are counting on me. If I just go in to raise money for the company about me crushing it or me, you know, um, giving a great presentation, it's not as effective for me. I found for me what motivates me and gets me to get the job done is to say, there are 14 people counting on you to get this so they can take care of their families. And that's, you know, for me, the angle, I think everybody has their own version of that. And I wish everyone a, a wonderful journey. We need more badass women in this field, um, you know, and I think, I love what Warren Buffett said, you know, we've had a society where only 50% of the population has been contributing and how amazing the world will be when we can get the other 50% building and contributing at the same level. And we have to allow that to happen. Such wise words to end on. Thank you. Wow, what an incredible conversation. I just feel so inspired by my guest today purely because it sounds like she's been through so much, yet she's risen strong through it and learned so much and wants to give so much back to women that may be following in her footsteps. I really feel like I've been in conversation with a true leader today. And uh, I think I want to start playing video games. Thanks for listening to the show. Catch you next week. And don't forget to subscribe. Speak to you next week on Silence. <laughs>